This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to Blighty Day Fiance, your eighth, ninth, or tenth favorite reality TV recap podcast. My name is Michelle and I'm joined today by Mr. Elliot Wilson. Welcome, Elliot. Hello, hello. It's, uh, it's a long time since I've been anybody's eighth, ninth, or tenth favorite anything, so I'm, I'm absolutely honored. <laughs> well, we're absolutely honored to have you. So today we're going to be covering 90 Day the Other Way, Season 5, Episode 15. Now, in the past, this has been an omnibus, but uh, as you have all been undoubtedly made aware by now, um, the Snark household has been overtaken, besieged by an upper respiratory virus that we're all still recovering from. And we decided that last week was just going to be a write-off. So um, the it's no longer an omnibus for the time being. It's a, it's a single decker bus. It's just a bus. It's the 90 day, the other, it's a taxi. And Elliot is our driver. It's everything you've ever dreamed of. It's still oh God, a black you. cab. You're still getting the you're still getting the the uh the British experience or the UK experience. Um tiny bits and pieces of housekeeping. If you want to hear our fundy bus coverage of Welcome to Plathville and Sister Wives, that's on our Patreon, patreon.com slash blighty day. Blighty is spelled B-L-I-G-H-T-Y. Um, now, Love is Blind, we are going to cover. Robin and I were, will be doing a wrap-up uh, to be recorded this weekend. Sorry it's a week late. Again, Robin still has uh, a deadline at work, and we're just trying to fit everything in and, and uh, make up for lost time as best we can. But as we all know... 
health comes first. We've got to prioritize that. Um, thank you again, Elliot, for stepping in. So yes, any questions, my DMs are open. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Michelle Snark. Uh, you can come to our Instagram at Blighty Day. And you can email us at blightydayfiance at gmail.com. Now, without any further ado, let's get right into the episode. Now, I think we should start uh, with Danielle and Johan. Um, not a particularly long segment here. Um, Danielle says to us that they're going to see a life coach because... I guess culturally a, a therapist isn't uh, isn't a viable option or or an acceptable option to Johan um and she says I need someone to explain to help me explain to Johan that the way he's engaging in this relationship is destroying it well i mean the relationship in in terms of longevity is is sort of uh, i mean it's looking like the titanic early on the 12th of april 1912 isn't it I mean, <laughs> You know, things are still fine. You know, the, the the staff are still putting out the breakfast things, but you just know that in the long run, this is not going to be a viable option. Um, I haven't seen as much of her as, as you have, and I, I accept that and, and factor that into any potential criticisms. I, I thought that there was a, a strange sort of duality about Danielle in that I find her manner very difficult, and I would find her manner very difficult one-to-one. Mm-hmm. Because she's she's very emphatic. Uh, she's she's very hectoring would be unfair, but she's very dogmatic. She wants she's very. I think hectoring is pretty fair. Oh well, let's go for hectoring then. Okay. Um. Uh, yeah, she is very <laughs> hectoring. Um. At the same time, I think she's pretty much right about most things in terms of her relationship with Johan, because there is clearly a horrible, at best, a horrible, horrible semi-cultural mismatch. You know, irrespective of what people are entitled to want or expect out of a relationship, there is a huge divide between what each of them wants and, and expects and feels that the other deserves, um, to, to put it entirely neutrally. And that kind of divide is not easily crossed in, in my limited experience. No, I, I, and I, I would add to that 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 would be the case in... Uh, um, without the added cultural context which is it it's called different things in different parts of the world in this particular part of the world it's it's called uh johan would be called a sanky panky so a sort of kept man of an older wealthier uh white woman or or um, American woman or North American woman I should say whether Danielle agrees with it or not is it really fair for her to remove their relationship and their dynamic from that context entirely and, and try and disrupt it? I don't know, but I do sympathize. And I think we've also seen a nasty side of Johan coming out, um, particularly in the shaming her for not being able to have a child naturally um, due to her age, I, th- I mean, I think that's that's about as below the belt as you can get. Um, yeah, I mean, that was just grim on a number of levels, wasn't it? It was, you know, the, the worst kind of 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 blow from somebody who is supposed to be very close to you and meant with every bit of venom that you would expect. I mean, oh yeah, 
On the other hand, he did come into this with expectations. I don't think she tried to disabuse him at any point of the notion that his life would be better with her. Easier, I should say, right? And I do believe him that she says one thing one day and another thing another. Um, I don't think that she says what she means all the time. So I think in a, on a day that she's trying to ingratiate herself, she might be kinder to him and she might be trying to sell him on this vision of a future together. And on the days when she's really in her feelings, then she's outraged when he asks for anything. But right? There is, a, there is a strange sort of uh, dynamic about the two of them. And it, it's true of some of the other couples, but I think it's particularly acute in, in their case, which is that what's happened and the way things are going don't seem to me, as a, a relatively casual observer, to be vastly different from any arrangement they could possibly have foreseen. And yet, they still seem horribly, horribly affronted, upset, shocked by the way things are, have turned out. I mean, th there's an element of the kind of, uh, you know, statement of regret on behalf of the leopards ate my face party about how somebody just ate your face and was a leopard. <laughs> and, and you think, well, th this this was always on the cards. It's not like you, you went on a, a, I don't know, a, a sort of luxury cruise and it turned out to be a... a a, a sort of boot camp for the the grotesquely overweight or something. I mean, it, it's th th there's no sort of massive shock, it seems to me. And yet they they both seem and one can't regulate people's feelings. They both seem quite upset about the way things have turned out. Yeah, and I think it I, I, that is spot on. But her, the conclusion is, in order to make our relationship better, he has to make some changes. I think that the the degree of control that she needs from I, I think she thought she could have it by marrying someone uh, who she felt that she could influence and kind of raise or teach or or do a Pygmalion on. And he is not that guy. Um, no, I, I think she's and I mistaken think, kind of um, material dependence for emotional dependence, and I don't think he's got that on her in a way that she not necessarily actively wants, but that she kind of needs for the, the setup that she's envisioned. She She wants things that can't simultaneously exist. You can't have a younger kept man that you can teach who is also going to take the initiative when you want him to and who is now he may physically be able to the phrase our australians cousins cousins uses to slip her a crippler uh but um <laughs> the the um i think the problem is that from what I, little i can i can see of 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 her sort of wants and needs from from this relationship and it's not unusual is that she's basically angry because he's not the person in her head. And that makes her angry with him, uh, understandably, but at the same time, inexplicably. Um, right. And it's also completely irresolvable because yep. he's never going to be the person in her head, even if he knew what the person in her head looked like and tried to be that person, which would be quite a big requirement for somebody to, to stay in a relationship. I shall attempt to be your imaginary partner. 
um, it, it's 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 a fool's errand. It, it's not going to work. And yet, unless you can detach yourself from this, it needn't. I mean, I was going to say this idealized version of a partner. It needn't actually be particularly idealized. In the, in the sense of, you know, better than than what you could expect or anything. It just needs to be this set sort of notion of what somebody will be, how they will act, what they will do. And if somebody unwittingly or without their control falls short of that, that's, that's fatal, really. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, but their dog is really cute. Yeah, but the dog's not going to make it on his own, is he? Or she? No, the dog. Know. No, no, he isn't. Gizmo is not. Um, let's head on over to Jaipur at day two of the wedding ceremony of TJ and Kimberly. Kimberly, who has hopefully got some emodium in her, uh, downed some Pepto. I compl- listen. I totally appreciate that they want a translator to explain to them every single little thing that's going on. However, you've known you were getting married for a long time. Uh, I am sure TJ, um, the brother that she's fucking, uh, or any number of English-speaking relatives or a translator or a wedding planner or somebody could have explained to her at an earlier stage, this is what happens, this is what it's going to involve. Like, you didn't do any research ahead of time? I just don't... I. I understand wanting to know what's going on and where you have to be and you don't want to be late to things, but apart from the timekeeping... I don't think you, whether you're a spiritual person or not, I really don't think you need to be informed of the granular detail because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And and, and even if you feel for some reason that you should be, you know, there is an element of the the Oliver Platt line in Lake Placid about, yes, they hide that information in books. Um, I mean, you know, you can find (laughs) out about these things. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I've been to one or two Indian weddings, and and they are long. I mean, they they just are. They're they're much longer than mm-hmm. any other wedding ceremonies I've been to. And there's, if you don't speak the language it's been conducted in, they are pretty impenetrable because you don't have any cultural norms or 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 sort of signposts or milestones as you go along. Because you know, you most people in this country have probably been to a few Christian weddings, so they they know roughly the architecture of the thing, at least, and you see them on television. Whereas if you go to sure. to a Hindu wedding, for example, um, you you will not find much that is, is very familiar. So I get that. But expecting basically a sort of, um, you know, uh, DVD commentary version of the wedding, but done live for you, um, firstly, it seems a bit demanding. Secondly, as you say, it, it, it doesn't seem particularly necessary. I mean, they are presumably not embracing the faith themselves. Um, although th- th- there was one point where I thought, I'm probably being unfair here, but I thought it was quite interesting, where the father said, you know, we, we want to understand what we're, we're, we're committing to, or that wasn't quite the phrase, but it was as if he'd, he sort yeah. of worried he was going to be conned into some weird religious promise out of which he could then not get. Um, See, I can I considered that myself, um, but then I thought, 
and uh, when Robin and I were watching this, Robin said to me, well, you know, she's, it's, it's not just for her. She has to manage the parents, her parents as well. And again, I, I understand, you know, she's upset. She's not in the mode where she wants to, uh, accept any kind of spiritual or devotional practice. I mean, why would you, you have just shat and puked yourself. Although for some people, that's the perfect time to, to invite something in. But yeah, I think there, there was an element of it, but I think it was more that he was trying to manage his daughter because if they had a problem with it from a, religious perspective i think they i think there might have been more resistance there they they don't seem yeah. like they're so hardcore christian that they can't put turmeric paste on someone's feet for example you would you would hope not um i mean th- there was a lot of it which was um uh, to be fair i think a lot of the, the the parents slight sort of defensiveness and grumpiness does come from looking out for her in 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 whatever sense um, I think they are, you know, they want her to be, to have a good time, but also not to to feel neglected or shut out or all that kind of stuff. The, the one overriding impression I got throughout the whole thing, and I mean, it did seem to last, you know, three or four days, uh, at least in, in, in my timeline, um, was that she was complaining about perfectly valid things like, oh, nobody's told me where I'm supposed to be or, or what the timing is, or I thought we were late, mm. but actually we're not late. It's slightly like one of those plays you see, which is is perfectly good and perfectly satisfactory and amusing, except that by that stage, somebody would just have asked what was happening in real life. (laughs) And and yet this is, you know, as, as real as it gets. And no one has. No one said, actually, sorry, can, can I just stop you there? This is clearly all bullshit. I know we've got language problem, but we'll find a third person. We'll set this down. Can you just tell me what's happening, when it's happening, why it's happening, where the toilet roll is, and why I decided to wear pale colours, because that clearly was a bad idea. Um, you know, it's, you would think that, that ordinary life and, and basic common sense would have stepped in. And yet it hasn't. Maybe Maybe they have no common sense. Maybe I'm expecting too much... I don't know, but it just, there was a sort of slight feeling of people walking through rooms and not talking to each other and, and a weird kind of sort of airport farce thing about it. I yeah, I, I hear that. I, I'm also aware, and I've not been, I've not been to an Indian wedding personally. I've only been to the, either the bride or groom were Indian and they had done the Indian wedding already and now they were doing the English one but the nature of the uh Judeo-Christian wedding is that it it op- there is normally a timetable and it is planned out and some people even by necessity go as far as you know uh we're taking this photo at this time. And then that thing at that time, I wouldn't be able to operate in that way. And as you know, famously, I was probably an hour late to my wedding. (laughs) So, um, as as is the bride's prerogative. Um, so there is, uh, when you're in Jaipur on the ground, 
I don't know that there is that same sense of urgency once everyone is in the same place at the same time and you're not dealing with a florist who has multiple deliveries on that day. For me, it would be having to, I'm not a patient person to begin with, obviously. Um, If I don't have a book or uh, my phone or something to entertain me and I'm in the heat for long periods of time and there's nobody constantly bringing me water. Um, and Hey, maybe she's looking for a sneaky 15 minutes in the schedule where she and Yash can, um, you know, get up to a little something, something. I think from his point of view, that would be a risky attempt at, at that particular time. You just don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you know, th- this is a woman who, within living memory, has been shitting all over the floor. Um, yeah, I that's think true. I would just say, you know, I, th- I think you're lovely. I think it's great that you're about to, to marry my brother and that we can do all sorts <laughs> of things which are against the, the law of God and the law of nature. But I just don't think we should do that right now because you but- might just shit yourself. And I'm not into that. I mean, some people are, don't get me wrong. That's fine. Um, you do you. But I, I think it was just, it, it's a potential danger that I wouldn't introduce into what is already a, a slightly um, a slightly hyped up on danger scenario. <laughs> um, so let's make a brief stopover in Mexico, in um I guess they're back in La Mission now. So Kenny and Armando, now you, you've only been recently introduced to Kenny and Armando, right? Um, very recently. I, they, I, I knew very little about them, but was was sort of picking up bits and pieces of information as I went. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think um, you've been fortunate in that you haven't had to see too much of the back and forth of, are they going to have a baby? Are they going to move to Mexico city? Um, sadly you did miss them, uh, going to a gay club or a gay bar in Mexico city. Um, um, but you know, I I may go back through, uh, through the lost episodes on Amazon and see, uh, see what it's like. It was very enjoyable. It was, it, it was an interesting aesthetic though, because they, they, they seem to have decided, um, that they were after the the owners of the bar. I mean, that they were after the pink peso, um, and they rather than you know necessarily being gay themselves and thinking, what do we want? How do we want to present this? They thought, okay, let's put um, a very odd painting of. Uh, of Madonna on the wall. Let's put Freddie Mercury over there. Let's maybe paint the golden gate bridge in San Francisco as a, as a way let's dress all the bartenders as the village people. They weren't going for any particular aesthetic or theme. It was just, that's kind of gay, right? Question mark. Yeah. Um, that, that kind of, no, no wait. I've got this. I met someone gay once. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, that said, I think there is a lot of joy, and I've I've experienced this, admittedly, more in retrospect than at the time, in in gay clubs and bars, which are really, really awkward and not really very comfortable with the whole fact that they are, particularly in smaller towns and cities. I've found 
it's nearly 20 years since I've lived in Edinburgh, but um, when I was there in the mid 2000s, although, you know, it, it's, you know, like it had a proportionate gay population to whatever the size of Edinburgh is, but there wasn't much of a gay scene that I, I was aware of or that gay friends who lived elsewhere were aware of. So there were about three or four obviously gay clubs or bars. And there was one at the top of Leith Walk called uh, Club Habana, because they'd obviously thought, that sounds a bit gay, doesn't it? Um, and uh, you would go in, and uh, admittedly, I was dragged in by by a friend sort of mid to late afternoon, which is never really a good time to go to a, a club or bar of any kind. Uh, whether it, Yeah, but, you know, the sun is down. It's already the middle of the night. It's yeah, pitch it, black outside. You might as well. Yeah, and you, you are starting to feel that maybe Papa Hemingway took the right way out after all. Yeah, I mean, it was very Club Havana in that respect. Um, but, I, I mean, it was one of those places where, you know, it's just off Leith Walk, so, you know, right on, on the main street. So uh, because Edinburgh is quite a touristy town, you could see that there were at least two or three people there who were, how should we put this, not fully aware of the profound nature of the establishment, who had thought, ooh, I quite fancy a coffee, and had popped into Club Habana because that looks nice, and had, well, actually, no, they probably hadn't yet realised that they dramatically misread the situation, but they would they would probably come to. <laughs> anyway, I was sitting with my friend, um, and I excused myself to, to go to the bathroom at one point, and I swear I was away maybe three minutes. And when I got back, my friend was talking to uh, a, a young man who was probably in his late teens, maybe early 20s, and had explained to him uh, that he and I were a couple, and that we were, and I quote, all dressed up, by which I mean <laughs> like wearing shirts, because we'd just been to my sister's, we'd just been to my sister's confirmation, and I thought that was such a set of brilliant lies to have constructed seamlessly within the space of my going to urinate and coming back that it was it was quite extraordinary, and it it, it could it should have made me feel more awkward, but I actually thought at this stage you know all bets are off. You know, I'm I'm now in a relationship with my with one of my best friends, uh, and we're all dressed up for my sister's confirmation. My sister hadn't just been confirmed, by the way. I do have a sister. I can confirm that. Um, but there was, <laughs> there was no sense in, in which there's any religious nature to to the scenario. But I thought I thought it spoke very well of his remarkable uh, skills of improvisation and also of of setting out that kind of scene in a way which had not said to the the. The, the quite handsome young boy, this is clearly a scenario from which you are therefore excluded. It was kind of, this is what's happening. Pull up a chair, have a drink. Why don't we chat? Um, so it was, it was very, very strange. Um, and uh, I think that set the scene for a lot of the, a lot of the relatively few in number experiences in, in gay clubs and bars I had in Edinburgh. So uh, yeah, the, it, well, it wasn't Weimar in the late 20s, let's put it that way. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. No, and of course, we were both there in a previous life uh Weimar in the 1920s so we can speak to that absolutely some mornings I think it wasn't even a previous life but uh yes girl me too um there are moments I was <laughs> I have to tell you when I was watching that um Christopher Isherwood film or the the film about Christopher Isherwood uh I swear there were it could have been a conversation between you and I today. There were some extraordinary bits. Um, <laughs> and, I, I, I mean, I was slightly baffled by its concept in the sense that I saw that, I, I think I watched it on Amazon, and I thought, hang on, there's a film about Christopher Isherwood in Weimar, Berlin, well, in, in, in Berlin, in Weimar, Germany, in, in the early 30s, and I've not seen it. How is this even possible? Not only had right? I not seen it, I hadn't even heard that it existed. Um, I yeah, hadn't either. Yeah. It was like on Channel Five. It was yeah. so good. It was. It what was, was amazing. The, it was really very good. What was the name of it? If people want to, I mean, no one's going to be able to. Ooh. Maybe if you have a VPN, you can find it. But uh, what was it? it? Christopher and his Christopher and his kind. Um. Yes, Christopher and his kind. Now I don't know if you can hearken that far back, Elliot, because you're are you is it eleven years between you and your sister, or how old were you when your sister was born? Uh, yes, I was. I think I was. Yeah, eleven. That sounds right. We'll say yeah, eleven. So she'll she'll criticize me afterwards. Al- Alfie's age. Um, what? How did you receive that news? Because you were. Uh, and Alfie is a lot like this too. You were forty when you were ten, mentally. Pretty so much, what... and I'm I'm not going downwards. I'm I'm only going. <laughs> um, I I think my view at the time was well, that's that's a situation. Um, that's a situation about which I I have no influence. So it'll probably be fine. Um. <laughs> And you know, to to give my 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 sister her her credit, it largely has been fine. Um, she's she's fine. Um, she you know she's marvelous, obviously, and you know uh, a, a very a remarkably balanced and and sane and and grown up person. Um, but yeah, I I think based on on my experience and also you know having <laughs> met people, I, I think it's a very tricky issue to be talking to kids about them having. Acquiring siblings of whatever age. Um, and what I thought, although this was only a sort of brief uh, sort of interlude into it for me, I thought a lot of what went on with, with that group was very interesting because I wasn't sure that they had really grasped that although she's, I'm sure she's a very intelligent child and, and has a good handle on what's going on, she is still a child. And mm-hmm. she's not going to give entirely rational answers or can be entirely expected to have rational reactions to what's going on in the world. 
So when you say sure. to her, do you want a uh, do you want a little brother or something? It's not like saying to an adult, you know, are you willing to take out uh, a payday loan based on the following terms and sign at the bottom? Mm. That's not mm. the level she's operating at. And I thought that was particularly demonstrated when she said that she wanted to share a room with the baby. You're thinking, no, you don't, kid. You honestly no, you definitely do not don't. want to share. You just don't um, under any circumstances. It might be a great idea in your head. It probably happened in insert own 11-year-old girl's cultural reference because you'll be quite pleased to know I can't think of any. Um, <laughs> but, That's reassuring. Well, absolutely. At least I'm not saying that. Was it volume six or volume five? Um, you know, it, it may be a lovely idea in, in, in her head. But it's the realities are it's completely impractical. It will be hell for her. It's not going to work. Just no, no, bad idea. And I thought that was slightly reflective of the whole thing, that they were clearly with the best of intentions. They were sort of sidling up to these questions and trying to frame them in ways that she would understand and that, that made her feel empowered and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, these are questions which actually have consequences. And there are consequences that you can't just undo because your 11-year-old kid has changed his mind. Um, right. I so don't. You, by the way, I don't think she is 11. I think she's 8 or 9. I could be wrong, but she's a, she's a bit younger than that. More so in that case. Um, you know, she, she is still growing up. She is, she is a child, and, and she will, yeah. for, for perfectly good and obvious reasons, not always have the same views two days running or two hours running. Um, and, and, and she will not understand fully the consequences of things she thinks she wants because children don't. That's one of the great things about being a child. You can do something and you don't think, oh God, but what if this happens? Uh, Kenny is 60, I think. Um, yeah, or late fifties at least. So, uh, and again, yeah, certainly doesn't look it, but, um, he also has four grown children of his own he is a grandfather um and i'm not saying that any of those things should be barriers but um it is a it's that is a radical act of hope yes um which is the sort of thing which keeps the world turning but also the sort of thing that keeps you know therapists in in very good business um, yes. Now, having said that, they're in a much better position financially to be able to do this, I think. Um, and Kenny is very practical in that sense. So I'm not worried about them, you know, making a reckless decision, unlike our next couple, Mary and Brandan. Um, my dear old Mary and Brandan, yes. I I don't have a whole lot to say about this couple that's that's nice or favorable. I know a lot of our listeners sympathize heavily with both of them and with Brandan in particular. Um there is a lot of um there are a lot of danger signs here, aren't there? And and they seem to to rush towards the danger signs with a, a degree of kind of clenched teeth glee about them. You know, you know I'm not going to enjoy this, but I'm really going to enjoy not enjoying it. Um, I, I thought the, the, the sort of microcosm of the whole thing for me was that 
where uh, Brandan says, oh, you know, are you saying, and you never frame this as part of an argument, are you saying that it would just be better if I wasn't here? It's really, I mean, I was, I was gobsmacked. I, I was truly speechless when in a previous episode, we catch up with Brandan and he is asleep on a bench in the town square. Um, I think that Brandan is clinically depressed. I think that he is, uh, you know, in his own words, he was not thinking about the rules when he and Mary expressed their love for each other physically. Um, they were trying to have a baby, I mean, in, in fairness, if they were trying for a baby, they they hit on one of the best ways of becoming pregnant. Certainly, uh, I mean, oh, they sure did. Do it. Uh, that's, that's they sure know, did more effective in a lot of ways. Um, and where I'm stuck with this relationship really is that Brandan is is taking it seriously, and he's making an oath in the presence of Lolo and his psychedelic waistcoat. Um, that things will change and they'll stop fighting. But when you don't have a model for that and you don't have a model for healthy behavior and you don't seem to have any kind of direction to look in for that help. Now, granted, Mary's grandparents are probably our age. Um, and have just had a really hard life, but I don't, I don't see how things can change when their circumstances are not going to change and they have nowhere to look and seemingly no awareness of, about what the source of the problems they're having are. And I, I think also, and this is probably an age function as, as much as anything else, they seem to have some belief that if you say things are going to be different than they almost already are. And you think, that's not how it works. Uh, you, you kind of say things and then you make it happen. It's not some sort of magical incantatory device that, that cures your problems, um, which was a bit of the, the difficulty I had with the sort of way that Brandon was, was you know, with, with all earnestness, I'm sure, trying to, to, to reassure uh, Lolo and his, his unusual spiritual and, and sartorial outlook um, that, that it would all be fine, that he was going to make it better and things like that. I mean, it, it's it's basically, and I'm, I'm sure we've said this before, it's two kids playing out having a relationship. Um, but with the differences that, A, it's really happening, and B, mm-hmm. the only notion of a relationship they have is a really shit one. Um, so it, it's it's not a it's not a set of affairs which is, is going easily to make a happy recipe, isn't it? No. No. And and again, Lolo says it would be great for them to get married because once they're married, they'll live a peaceful life without any trouble and none of this bad stuff will happen. I've heard that's almost universally true. Yeah, there, There's something about the idea that, you know, marriage is not transformative in the sense that they hope it will be. It's not, it's not if I may quote the, uh, the great sage and child's entertainer Rastamos going to make a bad thing good um it's, it's you know that's not to say that people who marry young will never be happy of course they will sometimes 
Um, although, you know, statistically the odds are, 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 are lengthening these days. But it, 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 you're still you at the end of it. These two people are so in need of separate, intensive mental health intervention. Um, and even then, I would think, yeah, let's put off marriage. And I know it's too late to put off having children, right? But let's maybe not tie ourselves down. Let, let, let's take the permanence and that kind of pressure out of this situation. Now, I have saved the best for last, not surprisingly. Um, I have been dying to cover this scene with you and looking forward to it all week. Shekinah and Sarper, there are so many brilliant quotes, and I've I've tried to write down all of them. Um, it's almost impossible to parody. Now, I... We have a uh, a thriving Turkish community here in London, um, certainly in West London where you are and where I used to live. There are some fabulous restaurants, reliably delicious food. I have not come across uh, the dish that involves pressing spices into raw meat have you i haven't no i mean i'm, I'm not i'm not an expert on on turkish or, or levantine food in general but i would say that one of the kind of one of the the the, the threads of continuity throughout it is cooking you know <laughs> actually cooking meat um relatively rarely have i found that that I've been presented with a dish and they said, well, it's some really nicely spiced meat and some other bits and pieces. And then we thought we just miss out the bit where we take the diseases out of it. And we thought we'd just shove it to you because, and here's the bit, because it's warm from my hands. And you think that doesn't make it more attractive. That makes it a lot less attractive, particularly if your hands are attached to the rest of Sarpar, because I know where he's been. So, oh, just, I, I did wonder if he was trolling her. Because he's sitting there with, with this obvious hostile figure at the table. Uh, and, you know, mm-hmm. one, can, one can dissect her hostility in a number of ways. He must, he's not, I was going to say he's not stupid. Well, okay, we'll, we'll part that. He must pick up on some of the, the hostility coming from her. Because she's not concealing it at all. And yet he's he's almost goading her by saying he's going to make this very special meal and he wants to show how, how you know how much it means to him having her there and how he wants to impress her, and he's basically mashing up some mince in his big sweaty shovel-like hands, and and that is going to be dolloped on her plate somehow. And she did at one point say brilliantly, "So raw meat," and you think, "Yeah, you've you've hit it on the head. It's exactly what it is." Yeah, I would have done anything not to have to eat that. He says he takes great pains to bring up in front of the cameras that he weighs her every day and that he ensures that her hair is done a certain way. What's your view on that? Do you think that's something that's actually happening does she like it? Does she object to it? Uh, she seemed to have a ready rebuttal um, for, you know, anyone who might say, gee, Shekinah, that sounds like something 
that's really gross and controlling and unhealthy. Um, what, and what have are, you looked at his cellar recently? Yes, I think <laughs> I think there is a. I think depending on on which bits I I focused on, there were different ways of looking at it because. If one takes at face value that his English is not very good, well, no, sorry, that's unfair. His English is a lot better than my Turkish. His English is not perfect, and there are bits of idiom that he misses and bits of nuance, which is fine. Of course he does. If one takes that on board, then there are bits where I thought he's actually trying to say something quite nice and sincere, and, and he's just not getting it across, and, and she's maybe being a bit harsh on him for, for not accepting that. And then there are other times where you think, oh, my God, if he's not on the FBI's wanted list, I don't know why. Because this is clearly a man who would build a woman out of parts. Um, there was a bit where she was trying to explain to him. This was in the sort of very, very last moments before her sister landed. Uh, in in every sense, um, where she was saying, "Oh, you know, don't say that, babe, because it, you know, to 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 somebody who doesn't understand, they they might think it means this and that." It was as if, yeah, maybe he has just misrepresented something but then you think actually no what he was saying was that he always wants you to look the best you can be brackets because it reflects well on him and actually it was all a bit gnarly and a bit disgusting really wasn't it um i i mean i i don't i don't know if this is just the, the collision of two extraordinary polarities of narcissism which it may be mm. um i think what's odd is that both of them seem to be both narcissists, but also quite dim, which is a relatively unusual combination. Uh, narcissists at least sometimes have a, a, a bit of self-awareness and spark about them. Well, self-awareness is the wrong way of putting it, obviously. But, I mean, he just, you know, he just doesn't seem to know what's going on most of the time, or care what's going on, because, you know, he's got his bed that he slept with 1,200 women in, and my God, just logistically, it looks that way. Um, uh, he's got his his awful flat, which he had a massive fit about the idea of changing anything in. You're thinking, mate, an arsonist would change this place to the better. They really would. <laughs> I don't. The thing is, I think, and I know I shouldn't, but I really like Shekinah, and I think that she is very. There is a warmth to her. And as shallow as her affect is, and as, uh, I don't know. I really do think that there are some hidden depths there. Um, I do not feel the way about that way about him, but I think he is a terrible actor. And I think that if he was putting this on and if this was for the show and all fake, he wouldn't be able to disguise it. I don't believe for a second that he's slept with 2000 women or 1200. I, I think he's, I think he's maybe slept with 30. This whole, so, so Shariah shows up again, uh, damning with faint praise saying that she wasn't expecting Turkey to be so pretty. Um, and then we go to the dinner conversation where again it it is cinematic in its in its artistry the the push and pull the the tension the highs and lows i think the highlight of this is 
if she's texting, she acts like a slut, you know? And then Shariah says, you're saying my sister acts like a slut? To which Sarpa responds, I meant bitch. That is that is a brilliantly male recovery, isn't it? Oh, no, sorry, I didn't mean slut, I meant bitch. Uh, I no, meant bitch. No. Um, um, I think Shariah was a little off sides here. I don't think it's fair. Now, is this the actual home that he lives in? We'll never know. Is it? Is it an Airbnb? Is it a rental? Has he seen these empty alcohol bottles in his entire life? I, who knows, right? Um, but Shariah doesn't know him and is a guest in his home. And again, I'm not eating the... I'm not eating the the raw meat with sand and protein poop germs and all manner of gym diseases in it. I'm finding a polite way to avoid eating it. But what I'm not going to do is uh, attack someone right off the bat who's hosting me. The weird... Now I think about it, that, that interchange about the, the alcohol bottles in the cupboard was, was weirder and weirder because it was like everybody was doing improv and not particularly well. It was kind of, oh, um, yes, I, I keep them because they remind me of my friends, he said, thinking, is that a thing that humans do? I don't know. Um, and then one of them says, oh, yeah, but it, you know, it makes you look like you drink loads. And he says, no, no, there's no alcohol in them. I'm thinking, I don't know, is there? I haven't tried. And it's just, it was all like a weird set of, a, a weird sort of game of building Jeopardy based on a, an object that nobody had examined. It was, it was fascinating. But none of them willing to call out the fact that this was just a really odd situation that none of them knew what was happening. Uh, because, you know, there was far too much pride in it for that. I'm surprised that they, that they even raised the, uh, I'm surprised they even raised the specter of their immediate surroundings because these two, at least, and possibly Shariah as well, I don't know, I haven't looked it up, but these two seem to live exclusively online. That's all right in a way if uh, you're you're like a particular, for a particular generation, twas ever thus. There is no difference that because that is the real world. And I think maybe ours is the last generation possibly ever to have that, that difference between, okay, these are the people that I know in real life. I don't know. This is my avatar and how I present. I mean, not that, sorry, I am waffling on way too long now, but what, what I'm coming around to is this conversation of, about the DMS. Yes. Yeah. Because if Robin wants to, I, I've never been somebody who's felt the need to look at my partner's phone ever. No, no. Um, if someone, if Robin wants to see my DMs, if my mom wants to see my DMs, if it's, I, it, I don't care because I'm not doing anything in my DMs that I shouldn't be doing. Um, Sarper feels very differently. He says, he says, I will show you DMs, but you will show your panties because it's your private area. I'm not really sure that's quite how it works, but um, 
I, I just pray that he's he's never arrested and asked to show his his sort of private correspondence by the Turkish police. You know, I show you DMs, but you show me your panties, Mister Policeman. Is your private area? I mean, it's just it's. <laughs> okay, I, I have a slightly mixed set of views on this, um, which are sort of independent thoughts, which may or may not have a thread between them. The first thing is you don't ask to see your partner's DMs as a sort of wonderful optimism infused demonstration of how little they have to hide from you you just don't because why would you i mean it's like saying oh let me show let show me how you never think about anyone else and never say anything you wouldn't want printed across the front of the daily mail and have absolutely no interior life that i am not pri- i'm not privy to or or would would not want to see anything of you say it because you think even if the even if the speck of doubt is the size of one of the bits of sand on Sarper's fun hand baked mince cakes, even if it's minuscule, it's there. And you know you're also never going to get a, a an answer you want because if you don't see what you're looking for, you'll think, "Well, I just haven't seen it." And if you see it, then of course you'll be you know, all that kind of thing. Um, I think all of this could have been resolved if he had done an erotic dance f- routine for Shariah. I think that was what was missing. I mean, she was clearly, I think her a lot of her hostility was clearly sort of sublimated sexual desire. Um, I think yeah, because was... who, who wouldn't want um, a, a G.I. Joe from 1988? Yeah, and, and uh, you know, once once he starts smearing the mints on himself, I think that's that's the you know, so the deal is done. I think clearly she she couldn't cope with just the the depth and profundity of her her desire for him, and so she became very hostile. And I think that's true of a lot of women, obviously. I joke, listeners, yes. I joke. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was. I think an erotic dance would have distracted. Um, I mean, it's a bit like that that phrase in in Blackadder when when someone says, "As I as I came in, all heads turned," and Blackadder says, "Yes," and I dare say a few stomachs too. And I think there is no <laughs> about um, about the idea of Sarpa doing an erotic dance, which of course he will do with complete commitment because in his head it is the sexiest thing any woman, girl, bitch, slut, whatever you want to call them, has seen. Sure, whore, yeah, um, right. Uh, I have a hard out at one. I do appreciate your time. Our listeners appreciate your time. Uh, Elliot will be resuming his shift on the uh, driving the tow bus next week. Um, Thank you all for listening. Uh, Again, come at us on our socials at Blady Day on Instagram and whatever Twitter's called now although you can probably understand from how i've said that that i i don't check that as often as i do the others join our facebook group blighty day bays bays is spelled b a i no it isn't b a e s <laughs> um patreon.com slash blighty day bays elliot tell them where to find you 
I, I am I am more active perhaps than that on uh, X, formerly Twitter, as almost every article I've seen refers to it. Um, Elliot Wilson two E L I O T W I L S O N two. So do pop over and uh, and join in the the group of people who think I'm inadequate for one reason or another. Uh, and my God, there have been quite a few reasons these past few weeks, but uh, it's always fun. Um, and just to say thank you again for for having me on. It's always a pleasure and always a a, a deep dive into the 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 broad but sometimes shallow pool of, of human experience around the world. <laughs> oh, I and I look forward to seeing you on Monday in person, y'all. So. I'm going to, going to see a play. Very exciting. Um, the details of which I will reveal in all in good time. Um, again. Not sure. And that good time can be now because why not? Um, I don't know how I'm going to feel watching King Lear so close to the anniversary of my father's passing, but I'm, I'm going to power through. (laughs) I might be sobbing the whole time and uh, you might have to be that awkward person patting me on the back and saying they're there. Don't worry, I'm that um, awkward person wherever I go, so it's not too much. <laughs> it won't be a new experience. All right, uh, take care, listeners. Let us know your thoughts, and uh, we will see you soon. <laughs>